Oh hey, you're listening to Pep Talk, a podcast launched during the national lockdown in April 2020 to celebrate and support our favourite New Zealand businesses. Join Grace Kreft, ex-lawyer and former owner of Sweet Bakery and Cakery to hear about how some of our favourite businesses built their brands, the ups and downs along the way and what we can do to support them, both now and once business as usual returns. So, are you ready for a little pep talk on your coffee break? Then here's your host, Grace. Welcome to the first pep talk of 2021. After a solid break and a few very dreamy holidays, I am ready to get stuck back into chatting and hearing the amazing stories we get to hear behind some of our favorite local businesses. I have some super exciting plans in the works for pep talk this year, and I am so glad that you are along for the ride. Right, on to today's chat. Today we're straight into it with Anna. She is the founder of vegan and cruelty-free cosmetics brand Kester Black. Probably best known, I think, for their rainbow of nail polishes in simple and stylish bottles. But like many of the stories that we hear on Pep Talk, Kester Black had a more roundabout route to finding its niche. Fresh from studying fashion at Polytech in her hometown of Dunedin, Anna moved to Melbourne. Despite already having her own fashion label while she was studying, she couldn't afford to pay the excess baggage to take her sewing machine over the ditch. So she shifted to jewelry making, learning from scratch from other makers, and it was then when she started playing with lacquer to go on her jewelry that she stumbled upon what is now the nail polish that we know Kester Black for. Also, a quick note before we start that we recorded this chat last week just before the level two and three announcements were made here in New Zealand. So just a warning for you now in case a few of our COVID references seem slightly out of date already. Things change really fast at the moment. Right, enough of my chat. Let's get into it with Anna. Hello, hello Anna, welcome to Pep Talk, how are you going? I'm really well, thank you so much for having me. Good, oh thank you for coming on and also for kicking off 2021 for us, because like I said this is the first episode of the year and my first time recording in a few months, so. Same think, here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I feel like it takes like January for everyone's brains to crank up again in New Zealand, because we take such a long time off. Yeah, it's really not not done in Australia taking the whole month, but um, yeah, most people are back on the fourth, generally mm. of Jan, which is really fascinating. Yeah, I feel like it's definitely a Kiwi thing, um, but I'm not mad about it. But it just no. means like February is like a bit of a drag. Cause you're like, <laughs> how do I do my job again? I can't remember. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. hopefully I've remembered how to podcast and I have managed to hit record. Um, <laughs> but I have. We're good. And I know this is going to be a really exciting and interesting and inspiring way to start this. Uh, but before we do, tell us where you are joining us from today. I am in sunny Wanaka, although it is actually not sunny, it is torrential rain. Although yesterday it was 32 degrees. <laughs> oh, beautiful. What a dreamy place to work, because you're there full time now, aren't you? Yeah, when I came back from Melbourne, um, my partner and I just moved back in August last year, 
And I grew up in Dunedin, but um, I just said, I'm not moving back to go to a city. I have to live in Wanaka. I'm retiring. I'm not really retiring, but you know, it's my retirement place. (laughs) Oh, amazing. Yeah, I have a family in Wanaka because my husband is from there. So I know how amazing it is to to be there and it would be lovely to live and work down there. it's It's awesome. It's so exciting to just leave the house at the end of the day. And every time you get this beautiful smell from the lake, I always talk about smells. I'm a really um, sense kind of driven person. And it's good that you're in that early stage where you don't take it for granted. Because I think if you live there for a while, you do risk kind of, you don't notice the mountains and the lake anymore. Whereas every time I crest over that hill coming from Cadrona, I'm like, oh my God. I know, it's so exciting, isn't it? Just to like go over that rise. And there are places in Wanaka that I've never been, even though we used to come here for holidays, often as kids. So I'm actually like discovering Wanaka for the first time. Uh, amazing. Oh, well, we, so we normally warm up a little bit with some of this or that questions, but I feel like we already kind of dived in some good stuff there, but we will, you're not going to get off the hook <laughs> yes. with the this or that yes. questions. <laughs> so this just the most exciting fun. part. <laughs> well, again, you see, when I was coming up with these, I was like, I don't know, I'm, I'm a bit rusty. So I think I went super basic on these. It's not going to be very um, high level, but let's go. So to begin with, I picked this, this is very obvious for you, but manicure or pedicure or neither? Mm, neither (laughs) (laughs) see I was interested in if you were this kind of person or not given your product I love having my nails painted but when I'm testing polish all the time I can't have them painted because I need to be testing wear so often my nails are like all multi different colors with just (laughs) one stripe down the middle doing wear testing and so I always look not glamorous it's not glamorous that makes sense yeah so you have to like see how long they're going to last and what the chips like and things like that yeah so my nails always look like they're never chipping like the product is either on or off but they're often bare (laughs) yeah (laughs) or stripey multicolored like yeah a little kid has had their way with your hands (laughs) all right next up we've got work or holiday oh working holiday (laughs) we do this thing with Kester Black where um, we go to Europe once or twice a year not anymore obviously but um, we call it work and then we holiday the entire time that we're there I like that so is it kind of like a you're going to see like trends and colors and fashions and and things while you're there yeah and um, visit all of our distributors and partners and manufacturers and so it's it's like yeah we can go and do a work meeting for a day but then stay in some like gorgeous um accommodation in the south of france or you know <laughs> while we're doing oh, that. So that is, that's a working holiday i think that's legit yeah. and a bit of both like do you are you one of those people that struggles to switch off like would you ever go on a purely holiday holiday where you didn't take like a laptop and you turned your phone off and things We meditate a lot. So every year I do a three-week silent meditation retreat with no, um, no nothing. (laughs) And then, so next one, I didn't know that you had been in Italy, but pizza or pasta? Oh man, I would have said pizza, but now I'm pasta. Like it, it's flipped in the last year, I reckon. Gnocchi with tomato sauce, (laughs) homemade gnocchi. Yeah. But you had have a lot of good food while you're traveling on those trips. Yeah, totally. And in Melbourne, we were so lucky with the Italian. So um, we used to make a lot of handmade pasta and, oh my gosh, eat a lot of pizza. 
Yeah. Have you, do you go to Francesca's in Wanaka? I have yeah. been there, yeah. yeah. But I, I had the pizza, but mm. apparently the pasta is amazing, and I mm-hmm. haven't been back in a while. Mm. I had a really nice pasta last time I went there. And you can get a six-barrel soda while you're there, so I'll just throw oh, it in. Well, I will. <laughs> <laughs> all right, and then last up, uh, dance all night or do karaoke? Neither. <laughs> it's like I go home and get into bed at nine o'clock and meditate. <laughs> <laughs> Pat the cat. <laughs> Have a tea. That sounds like so way boring. more my speed as well. <laughs> I used to love dancing, and actually, yeah. I think it's just like at this. I don't know what it is. Um, I read that book, um, Outrageous Openness. No, uh, the it's what the one by Brene Brown, and she talks about like what it is like to um, play as an adult, and I took that pretty seriously, and I was like, what does it mean to play as an adult? And um, things that I really love doing now is like skiing. I'm just learning how to ski, so I kind of love, hate it, but love it. (laughs) And I love swimming, just really love swimming. I just love being in water. And uh, we've just taken up climbing, outdoor climbing. It's really, really fun. Yeah. That's quite a lot of hobbies. I'm impressed. As well as running a business. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I feel like we could talk about this all day, but we better get on to business stuff. So, well, to start with, it's always interesting to hear a bit of personal background, I think, because that always leads itself into the businessy stuff. Uh, but you, so you've got a background in design and fashion, don't you? So you studied fashion design here in New Zealand, is that right? Yeah, at Otago. So hmm. um, I grew up in Dunedin and I'm a real tactile learner because I'm very dyslexic and I never learned maths. So I don't even know my times tables. Like I just couldn't tell you what, you know, seven times nine is. I just don't know. And uh, so I knew I was really interested in design. Oh, actually I finished school a year early or I was expelled from school a year early. And I became a dental assistant and I loved it. Oh my God, it was so exciting. I got to like clean people's teeth, right? So we were chipping calculus off. Oh my God, it was so exciting. So um, I just knew that I had to go to Polytech and not go to university because I just couldn't survive uni. I was really interested in medicine, but I couldn't write an essay. So (laughs) sort of stopped that um, path. Although I did end up working in medical trials for Zentech. And so Zentech is an employer in New Zealand who would test um, drugs on the market and all the uni students would sign up and sometimes I would be there with like 85 uni students and just me. I really wanted to do health. I ended up doing all the bloods, um, learning how to put IV lines in, was really interested in medical stuff, but I was a hands-on person. So I, I knew that I loved, every time I walked into a store, I would touch fa- fabric. And I'd actually applied to go a year earlier, but didn't get in, which is why I ended up working for a year as a dental assistant. And then the following year I got into fashion. Um, and then at the end of fashion, my mum said, you need to move overseas and get a job. And I said, no, you need to give me $30,000 so I can start a fashion label. And she said, I will, but you should go overseas. And um, yeah, I slept on it for a day and I thought, yeah, you're right. I'm not moving to Wellington, it's too windy. I'll go to Melbourne, <laughs> it's, it's cheaper. It's cheaper to fly to Melbourne from Dunedin than it is to Wellington. It was $400 return to Melbourne from Dunedin, and it was $600 return to Wellington. That's so wrong. But yeah, I can believe it. Yeah, 
I didn't even know. I didn't know anything about Australia. Uh, I had been there once as a kid, but um, I moved there. I hated it for two years and cried every day and called my mum and worked in retail. (laughs) And were you working on the fashion brand while that was happening? I couldn't afford to take my sewing machine over. So I had done heaps. As soon as I got into um, uni here, I started a fashion label and it was in Stir in Dunedin and um, Slick Willies. And um, then I got into the Dunedin Runway show. So I was always doing my label while studying. But when I moved to Australia, I couldn't take my sewing machine. So I just started dabbling in jewellery, which is... I just fell onto it really, but I always feel like design skills are really transferable. So no matter what medium you're working in, you know, and I'm from New Zealand and, and I feel like Kiwis just ask for help when they need it. So I literally walked into a store and said, hi, I don't know anything about casting jewelry. Can you teach me? And the jewelry casters told me how to do it. And I turned up like the next week with some stuff to cast and they were like, yeah, we'll do it for you. And I was like, this is easy. (laughs) And that's sort of how it all started. I I think it's so true like New Zealanders will ask for help and also just having a go at it like a lot of I think it's part of our spirit a little bit just to be like well I'll just try it and see what happens whereas a lot of people would be put off by that no loss you know like if it didn't work it was a fun project Mm -hmm. so um, yeah I think that's a really big part of starting out with new things is just that risk assessment of it and like what have you got to lose side of things and like it's sometimes when you ask yourself that there is something to lose so maybe it's not right but a lot of the time it is you know if you actually think about it it's not that bad if things go horribly wrong just somebody asked me once when I was um, doing a talk after I'd won the Telstra Business Women's Awards in Australia I went and spoke to Telstra and one of the ladies there said I'm you know 40 something I have a five-year-old son and I'm a single mum. Like, how do I start a business and get it to the point where you got it to? And I was like, I don't know how to answer that because I started my business when I was 20, working in retail full-time, so I had at least an income. And then I just did, I saved $50 and literally that was it. I had $50 from my wages and I went and made some jewellery and then I sold it and then I got like $300, you know? And so I never, ever had... A risk I didn't have a child that I had to look after I didn't have a job that I was leaving I just built it up really slowly when I could have done anything with my life and it wouldn't have mattered you know I could have moved home and moved in with my mum again yeah yeah I definitely feel like that's a factor yeah and just deciding what you're comfortable with risk-wise and everything yeah so this so the jewelry when you were making the jewelry in Melbourne this was called the same thing right so this was Kester Black at that time yeah, so it was Kester Black in fashion in Dunedin, and then it was Kester Black jewellery in Melbourne. And then after about four years of making jewellery, oh my God, I'd made it. So I started with $50, and then my entire year's revenue got up to $30,000, $30, right? Mm-hmm. Which <laughs> is big, like, yeah, from 50 <laughs> Including like costs and everything. So the profit was probably like two grand. (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, right, I'm going to quit my job. I'm going to do this full time. And it was really labor intensive and actually like physically hard. And so it was when you were doing the jewelry that the, this is where you started working with the lacquers and things that ended up in the nail polish. Is that how it all lined up? Yeah. So I just got bored of working with silver and I had actually done my internship 
with 27 names in Wellington and they shared a studio with Carrie from Deluxe Jewelry back in the day and um, I just loved her jewelry so much that I was really kind of inspired by um, she she lacquered her products it was really cool so I started playing around with nail polish on rings and it was a complete disaster but what I realized was um, enamel paint colored silver and then nail polish was enamel and then I was like oh I should just somebody had told me about creating a um, like an upsell you know when you go into the store and you buy a dress and they're like and do you want to sock socks with this <laughs> Somebody had said, oh, you just need to increase your cart value and do it with a low value item. So I was selling $200 rings and I was like, oh, I could just increase my cart value with something like nail polish. So um, I, looked in how, I looked into how to make nail polish and it actually took a long time to do that. And I begged the manufacturer, I found a manufacturer online and I begged them to work with me for over a year. And they kept saying no because they knew I wouldn't be big enough. And my first order was um, six colors of nail polish, 30 units of each. <laughs> oh, <laughs> and they were like, uh, fine, we'll do it. <laughs> but because I had emailed them every week for a year and that was just like the easiest way out for them, I think. And so you can't make it yourself, right? Like this isn't a thing. Like it, it just seems like it's its own thing. Like I can't even imagine what goes into nail polish. So you use a supplier that makes it for you. And did you like direct them on colors and things like that? Yeah. So I had changed the formula before going to them. And then um, they need to, I, I do a color brief. So I say I want, I usually just match it to a Pantone. So I want 925C and it needs to be, but with a pearl or without a pearl or with glitter or without a glitter. And it needs to be opaque, not translucent. So there's quite a lot of work in actually getting that first sample right. And then once the sample is right, then, then they just manufacture with the same recipe essentially. But um, you could make nail polish yourself, but there are a lot of um, legalities around storage of these materials because they're flammable. So just like a quick intro into how nail polish is made, it's pretty much like 70% solvent, acyl, ethyl acetate, butyl acetate. And that can come from petrochemical or organic compounds, right? It can come from soy or corn or... So it's literally solvent and then color particle, like pigment. And when you mix them together, that it's liquid and so it's easy to apply and then the solvent evaporates off which leaves the pigment behind and that what's that's what creates a film so nail polish works by evaporation whereas gel for example is an epoxy resin and so you it's a chemical reaction which makes that set with heat so it's a different gels are a totally different thing but because nail polish is made of solvent it means it's flammable and the way to fix gluggy nail polish is to actually just add more solvent back in to create the consistency more runny. Mm -hmm. Good tip. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And the, not, like, not many people know about nail polish. No. So it's kind of a really fascinating. I was like, oh, is that how it works? Yeah. And does running like, it under cold water work? Not really. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So the um, a big part of what you guys are doing is the value side of things, like the fact that it's vegan and cruelty-free and that you're donating parts of your revenue. But thinking about finding the supplier, was it quite hard to find someone that matched up with those values? Like not everyone knows that regular nail polish often has like fish and beetles in it, right? 
Yeah, nobody knows. Um, that's what no, it was hard. There was nobody just do it. Like nobody does vegan cosmetics, if you know what I mean. So we had to find a manufacturer who just made paint, and then we had to say, but you can't put any of the stuff in it with us. So back when I started in two thousand and nine was when we actually started Kester Black when I started Kester Black it was just me and then in 2012 was when I launched those first six colors nobody was really doing vegan or cruelty free it was kind of fringe it's like there's always been that that community that's like um kind of a fringe community but it wasn't that mainstream and what I noticed from a design point of view was that anybody who was doing anything ethical put it into brown boxes and made it look real naff. So I was, was like, I wonder if you could just do like good product that's vegan and cruelty free. And the only reason why that sort of came about was because um, he said, oh, well, you just have standard, right? And I was like, well, what does standard mean? And he goes, well, not vegan. And I was like, well, why wouldn't it be vegan? And then he told me, the manufacturer told me about all the crap that they put into products and I was like well no I just want it vegan and he's like oh well, we don't do that and I was just like well we're gonna have to work out a formula that's vegan then so the only company that was doing it back then was Inica Cosmetics or they're the only ones that I really knew and they only had six nail polish colors and I don't even know if they do nail polish anymore so if you wanted vegan and cruelty free nail polish your choice was really limited and that is where I decided, oh, well, nail polish would be this good add-on product. And obviously, vegan and cruelty-free isn't really on the market, so I'll do that. And then what I'm going to do is make it look really nice. And that was kind of it. <laughs> and where was, was there like a tipping point for you between when this went from being like on the side, like an add-on, a value add for your jewelry into its own thing? Like, do you remember that moment where you were like, flag the jewelry, let's do the nail polish? Yeah, it was about three months after launching the first six colors. And so I told you that I had made my lifetime saving of $30,000. <laughs> and then three months later, I turned over 90000 just wow. from launching the nail polish. Yeah. And I didn't know much about e-commerce. And it was pretty fresh back then. In 2012 was like when the big first stores were sort of like popping up. And you couldn't retail color on websites so um i did it as a wholesale model and i just like contacted five or six stores around melbourne i said i've got this product i made a lookbook sent all my emails on sundays because that's when i was working and i got all replies on sundays because that's obviously when all of the store owners were doing all of their catch-up and it sold out like immediately and then i just kept buying more and more and more and then i was like this is a winner i'm not going to do jewelry anymore because it's such a hard slog and it takes so much more energy and effort to get to this point. And also because jewellery was a really competitive market then. There were a few brands that were getting um, launching in Australia that uh, were getting all of their stuff made in Bali for really cheap. And so silver was cheaper over there, labour was cheaper. And when we were handmaking and buying everything in Australia, we just couldn't compete anymore. So, and now polish comes fully finished, essentially. Like you put the put your order in for the colors and it comes in a bottle in a box and then you just put it on the shelf and you can sell it like that so there's no actual manufacturing side that we have to do 
if we're lucky. So this was all still like for quite a long time. I understand you were still doing this kind of from your bedroom kind of style, like in the the way you were doing the jewelry. Did it, when did you get to the point that you needed your own space to do all this from? So um, it was probably about three months after launching that I was like, right, this is it. I'm not going to do jewelry. And then three months after that, I thought now that I'm making the big bucks, (laughs) (laughs) $90,000, I need an office, a three-story office in the middle of Brunswick, or it was actually in Fitzroy, which is a ritzy part of Melbourne where all the Kiwis live. And it was so, it was brand new. Like it just been finished building. Floor to ceiling windows, north facing. Oh my God, it was so exciting. And Um, So I had gone and looked at it and my dream is always to like have some incredible, beautiful space as a designer. And um, the guy said, oh yeah, it's like, I think it was like $70,000 a year rent or something. (laughs) And I wasn't even working full time. I still had a part time job. And I called my mum and said, like, oh, I don't know if I should do this. I feel like it's the thing that I need to do to move it to the next stage because it was really unprofessional having people come and work at my house I had like a bedroom and then a little office and a like bathroom in the middle so it wasn't yeah it was all kind of I don't know it was all this one area on the top of this terrace house yeah um and that was a real ego thing actually because there was nothing wrong with people coming and working from my bedroom you know like it wasn't really my bedroom like I wasn't sleeping in there it was just like this little nook that we're working in and yeah it was shit but man I would have saved quite a lot of money for quite a long time if we hadn't done that it was the hardest decision I've ever made I decided to do it and then I was like well I've got this huge commitment because it's a five-year lease right a commercial lease 70 grand a year five years with four percent increase every year and um so I like hired somebody else like a new person because the girl that was working with me was finishing and then we both moved into this three-story office building with like I didn't even have that much stock then like probably 12 boxes of stuff like 12 small boxes of stuff (laughs) so we put our 12 boxes of stuff in the garage which was like the full stock room and then we went on the middle floor we like set up our two desks it was huge. It was like 110 square meters or something. Aww. You do kind of have to, like, as you're growing a business, do these things where you go to, like, you go, everything's, like, too tight and too pressured, but then you have to take, like, a leap, right, and go yeah. way beyond that. Because if you just, like, gently increased it, that place would have been too small in another year. So you kind of yeah, have totally. to take these big risky leaps that feel, like, terrifying. But in your gut, you're like, okay, this does feel like the right thing. Um, but it isn't always that easy to know what is ego and what is necessary and all that. Not at that age yeah. as well, because I was still only, like, 21, probably. Um, oh, yeah, you were really young. Yeah, and so, and, like, when, when there was one really smart thing that I did, I think... I, w- I wouldn't say that I was like academically smart, but I have, I don't know, street smarts or a lot of common sense. So when we set this office up, I was like, well, we'll have to sublease it. And I had done some basic numbers because, you know, if it goes up to 10, I can do it, but anything over 10. <laughs> um, and so I actually was quite clever in that um, I made a profit from that lease every year for five years. So... Um, by subletting so it was turning a profit rather than costing money if Mm -hmm. that makes sense 
Mm. The other thing was when um, Cardia was, she was like my first real employee. We, I hired her full time. She used to like pack and send the orders and we were probably doing about 20 a week. <laughs> uh, so she would do that customer service and marketing. And I literally just did the Instagram. And all I did was sit on Pinterest and play. And then we finished every day at four o'clock. And we would meditate for an hour during work time. So we did nothing. We did absolutely nothing. <laughs> Sounds nice though. It was fun. Yeah. <laughs> oh, those are the days. Yeah, no overheads. Like I feel like that's the ways where I'm trying to get back to now. You know, I have gone to the business point where we had nine staff. I hated having a big business, and so we're trying to scale it all the way back down now. And we have one actual employee. Um, and then Fergus and I do it, and then everybody else we work with is contractors, which is awesome. And we're making the most money now than we ever have. And we scaled it all the way back. Yeah, that's interesting as well, because I think that comes into an ego thing too a little bit. Like when you're growing a business, you're like staff equals success is growth is, you know, business is going well. But actually, like if under the surface, it's costing you a fortune and it's causing you a lot of stress and eating up a lot of your time, it's not actually success. No, there was actually a turning point for me. And it was when I won that Telstra Businesswoman's Awards. So before that, I was like naive. The business is working really well. Um, we were making shitloads of money. I was going on holiday all the time to Europe and spending, like, I actually spent $40,000 once on a six week trip through Europe because I just didn't have anything else to spend this money on. <laughs> Amazing. This is like pre advertising. We weren't doing Facebook ads. We, I didn't believe in marketing. Get that. Oh my God, I've come a long way. Um, I was like, no, nah, it's a good product. It should sell itself. <laughs> so we didn't do marketing. We just did emails and that yep. was it. Amazing. <laughs> emails on Instagram. That was. Yeah, anyway. Um, and then I won the award and people were like, wow, she's so good at business. She's so successful. And I was like, man, I must be good at business if I just won this award. And so actually, like, then I, and then I met an accountant. He was like, your business is going to be turning over $60 million in three years. And I was like, this is going to be so good. <laughs> wow. <laughs> and so... Yeah. Um, I just got some shitty advice and I've really found that people that come and look at my business from the outside are like, wow, she's huge. Oh my God, I could do so much with this business. And then we get these consultants who reckon that it's just bread and butter, right? It's so easy. And then they come in and we spend a lot of money on them and they don't really make that much of an effect on the business. So it is kind of fascinating. Like my business is hard and complex and we have a lot of SKUs and we have three warehouses internationally and it's really complex and we have a product that cannot be shipped through the post. There's so much you don't think about like I would have had no idea that like nail polish was like explosives and that you couldn't ship it and that yeah it was like a dangerous good that just seems nuts as a consumer and that's just like the perfect example of how you just don't know these things until you dive into you know doing them as a business. Oh and I didn't know that for like the first year that I was running the business right (laughs) until Australia Post sent something back that it was an order to a wholesale customer which was completely shattered and they were like um, it's illegal to send this through the post and I was like what? And then I had to get a DG license and it took me seven months. It was harder than my degree. It was so hard because I've had, I have to get a DG license. You have to know how to um, ship explosives, flammables, nuclear, um, (laughs) biological hazards, like lithium It's so extreme, eh, for a bottle of nail polish, but I mean, yeah. Yeah, it's crazy. 
So hot tip, don't start a nail polish company. <laughs> well, I was going to say it's, it's a good example of like how um, oftentimes you're like, well, if I knew this before I started, I wouldn't have done it. Yeah, totally. And I guess like that kind of leads into how all of this stuff, it sounds super glamorous. Like you work in design, fashion, cosmetics. These are all areas that as a consumer, you're like, that's glam. That's like peak. But actually when it comes down to it in business, pretty much everything that sounds glamorous actually isn't like having been in business. Um, and I just know like looking at where you're at now, that's been a lot of slog that's gone in to that is there anything like we've covered the kind of shipping side of things already but is there, are there any particular challenges that really have stood out to you while you've been on this like something you'll never forget from all of this oh well there's lots of like day to days like yeah. really what I do is accounting tax compliance mm. <laughs> um putting together stuff for accreditations oh my god that's so boring uh, you know, like supply chain logistics, all those sorts of things, which are not glamorous and that you can't just like outsource to somebody to do because if you stuff it up, you, you'll lose your business. Um, one of the biggest challenges, yeah, probably in the last year, um, getting investment. So we've hit this point where there are, my skill is product development and I can create product like there's no tomorrow but we can't introduce new product because we can't afford to pay for the invoices so for example to launch a new eyeliner it might cost like seventy thousand dollars to do that and it will take a year or longer like took two years to set up our treatments for example do you reckon that so knowing yourself and knowing that you're like a starter who starts something do you think that that's what you'll do going forward or is Kester Black like your thing for for a good while now? Kester Black is like my baby and my passion and I love it and we're probably much smaller than most people think we are and so I had planned to like either build it so it became self-sustaining or build it to sell it yeah. because it's such an incredible business the product is amazing the values are awesome we were kind of one of the first to markets back then like there's so much value in it right in the brand itself and in the product development not in the figures mm. per se but um, yeah different things yeah i don't think anybody would actually want to buy it oh my god my cat has just climbed onto <laughs> me like i warned my app yeah and she's playing with the microphone oh i didn't hear anything so she's she's cool. quiet that's I'll all right good quiet what's she called <laughs> her name is willow she's a rescue oh and they found her at the albert town camping ground she's got a, she's blind in one eye oh wow and so they Aww. they um humanized her what do you call that <laughs> dewilded yeah, her. her yeah um put her in a foster and dewilded her and then they found a foster parents for her who put her in a harness and oh. she was a bit skittish but they ended up letting her out or she ran out within the first couple of weeks and she ran away as a kitten with a harness on oh. and she grew out of the harness in the wild for seven months oh, and it, the harness almost cut pretty yeah. much her arm off oh. so they um, took her back to the fosters they managed to find her after seven months took her back to the fosters got the harness cut off she had a pretty much completely severed arm and so when i got her one of the fosters was just leaving 
to go away for Christmas and I wasn't. So we had to keep her in a wee cage. It was so Aww, destroying. Yeah. yeah. So oh. that she wouldn't move around to like heal it. Cool. And then I was like, she's such a broken cat. She's got a broken arm. She's got a broken eye. I must keep her. <laughs> so, I will I've, heal her. Yeah, I know. And she is the most affectionate cat I've ever met. And I had a chocolate brown Burmese boy and he was affectionate. And she is like aggressively affectionate. <laughs> so she's like such a rad little being. Aww. And she just is real snuggly. And she, we're sort of like teaching her to go back outside. But I think she's worried that we'll lock her out. Yeah. So she won't go outside some days unless we're out there as well. It's really cute. Sounds like she's found her place. <laughs> yeah, we love yeah, her. She's found I'm her a people. real cat person. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's a nice story. I like that. Yeah. I'm glad I asked. <laughs> oh, and so when I, you know, eventually sell my business, I'm going to um, start up a cat rescue farm yeah. <laughs> and live off the grid on a little oh, cottage. That sounds amazing. <laughs> that's the dream. And what a place to do it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Long term. I, mean, I wonder if Long that will ever plan. happen. But. Yeah. <laughs> You never know. Oh, and so on these chats, we always touch a little bit on COVID. And I know you were mostly working remotely kind of already where you had team dotted around. Um, but what was it all like for you at that time? Mm. It was really scary because when we first learned about it, um, like the lockdowns and mm. in Melbourne, mm-hmm. um, we didn't think we'd be able to. We thought we were going to go bankrupt, essentially. And so we let go of all of our staff. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, all of them. There was only two, but yeah. we let them go. And then the government announced that we were getting the, like, workers' comp thing. And we took a massive dive in revenue. So we qualified for the um, wage subsidy. And you've got to remember the Australian bushfires was huge in Australia. So although it probably wouldn't have affected revenue and sales in countries like New Zealand. In Australia, you weren't allowed to advertise for pretty much all of February or you were insensitive. So yeah. last February, we made $15,000 for the whole month. Oh, wow. Yeah. And January was like kind of the same. Mm. So it was so it was already, low. Yeah. 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 And then like to give you an example, March, we made like 120000 right? So yeah. we went from like $15,000 a month to $120,000 Wow. Yeah. <laughs> So, um, but we couldn't have done it without the wage subsidy and the staff because although the order volume was higher, we lost all of our wholesale business and we had hundreds of wholesale accounts. Because all those retail shops weren't open. Where they were closed. So like, it sounds like we were wildly successful and we were online because online we were doing say 20% of our revenue online previously and then that turned to like 50 50 for the first month and then it turned to like um 90 of our revenue essentially from march onwards or april onwards so our whole business had to change like our entire business model had to change and we had to focus on solely e-commerce and not wholesale so it was just it was really difficult to be honest and um where we had sure money coming in. We'd also signed a deal with Mecca. Mm. <laughs> and um, that deal is still on the table, but they had to push it back. So we were launching into Mecca, and that meant that we were going to be launching into Cult Beauty. And we were doing all of this um, awesome stuff with Liberty in London. And, of course, Liberty has been closed, like, quite a lot of 
recently over Christmas and things like that. So with all of our major retailers globally, they're all shut. It's been so weird. It's nuts, yeah. yeah. And, like, so good that you could just flex like that and be like, right, we're e-commerce now, we're online, that's our focus, and that that did go so well. Um, do you think it was a bit of that lipstick effect kind of thing for you guys, like the totally. little luxuries and everyone wants yeah. a treat that can be delivered to the door kind of thing? Yeah, so for anybody who doesn't know what the lipstick effect is, it's an economic trend which happens in a recession where it pretty much says that lipstick sales skyrocket in a recession Mm. because people want um, an affordable luxury, which happens to be something like lipsticks. Because of COVID and the masks, um, any other small luxury items are also coming to this as well. Nail polish is almost like a recession-proof product. And because of lockdowns, everybody was doing their nails in the yeah. self-care like um, yeah. regiment that and they couldn't go out to, to get their nails done anymore yeah yeah and of course like eyes and nail categories have increased significantly because lips not everybody's wearing lipsticks because yeah. of masks i hadn't thought of that but yeah so true so um it has definitely had a massive effect and we were lucky we're lucky that we're in nail polish Whereas, although, like, a lot of e-commerce is up at the moment, um, yeah, it's it's been, it's, it's really interesting. Like, in New Zealand, um, luckily, we were still shipping from Australia at that time because you weren't allowed to ship any goods in New Zealand in the New Zealand lockdown. Because I would say that we're not, um, oh, what is the term, you know? Necessity, like, we're not mm, a necessity. The essential service yeah yeah Yeah. an essential Mm. so whereas in melbourne that wasn't the case and sales did skyrocket but then australia post couldn't cope and so um, people who were literally like in the next suburb over were getting their goods five weeks later (laughs) so it was just a, a nightmare and then we had to set up a warehouse in the middle of all of this in australia where we couldn't even go and visit them so we haven't even given them any training on packing and sending which has been a bit of a disappointment because they're doing some like crazy stuff. Over Christmas, they were putting all of our stuff into plastic bags, oh, like in and then into a box, and we and you're like, <laughs> are, no, like, no plastic. Uh, yeah, have you heard of our brand? <laughs> yeah, and then some people were like, "You guys are greenwashing," and I'm like, "Oh my god, oh, we're, not, no. we're not. So it's not us. Yeah, yeah, yeah." There was some. It's it's so disappointing when a third party does something that destroys Hits brand reputation. Brand. It's yeah. really. And we've worked so hard, you know, for all these years to get the packaging mm-hmm. right and it's all renewable. And oh, Yeah. Oh. And like, obviously, you know, we've talked about it's been reasonably recession proof and it's gone really well during COVID, but that doesn't mean that it's no impact. Like it's still huge and scary and everything. And I guess also the uh, global shipping side of things, because you're obviously oh. a global product and like oh. product is stuck bobbing on the water at the moment. Has that had an impact on you guys? So while sales are up, stock levels are down Mm. and so we placed an order in may and we have not received it and we won't receive it until april oh my god may last year a year (gasps) and one month until we get the stock right and this is top coat base coat these are our four treatment products we've had to like cancel one other po because they just weren't going to make it like within the year so we can't get stock which means that our entire christmas sales were affected um like january and february we've been operating since july last year 
without th- three of our top selling SKUs. Yeah, that's so frustrating. And when it's, it is. It's, yeah. And it's like we could be making that money, but we're not because mm. we don't have the stock. And it feels and so I out think, of your hands. Yeah, and people don't realize like what this means, right, for everything that they buy. Like when we went to buy skis when we came back, um, Rosignol didn't bring any skis into New Zealand because they – didn't think they were going to make any sales because of COVID. So, and then of course, like the shipping is insane. We got the quote for the um, order that we'd ordered from France last year in May, and it was going to be like 20,000 euros, which is like 40,000 New Zealand dollars to air freight it. So we have to sea freight it, which is going to take 10 weeks if it doesn't get delayed or bumped off a ship, which is what's happening. And so we still, it's so frustrating. Um, yeah, so international shipping is like a big thing. I think uh, it was, yeah, just great for it all to be so honest. And uh, yeah, there's a lot like we talked about that can seem very glamorous, but I think it's really cool to hear the other sides of things, both sides of things, the good and the bad. So I appreciate yeah, that. I, I feel like I've been a real Debbie Downer for the whole hour, but I actually <laughs> love my job. I really love designing products. I love our customers and I really like living in Wanaka and I like petting my cat. Yeah. I'm happy all of the time. Just <laughs> oh no, I think, yeah, there's definitely a balance. Like we want to, we want to keep it real, but at the same time, I think it just shines through in what you're doing that you love it. Yeah. And, you know, you wouldn't be putting up with all of that stuff that we talked about if it wasn't for that, you know, true passion for it. So don't yeah, worry, totally. we feel that for sure. And before we finish, we always end pep talk chats because it is called pep talk. So it would only be right to end with a bit of a high note and like a favorite piece of advice advice or a tip maybe even like a quote you love or something that you can share with us to take us out over to you (laughs) mine is like um my side passion apart from um intermittent fasting meditation and um is psychology right (laughs) i love a bit of psychology i read as many psychology books as i can um and one of the coolest tools that i've ever found especially in business but also works really 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 well for like personal life is a tool called crystal nose oh i haven't heard of this and i'm intrigued it's essentially like a personality um testing tool and the way that i did it i just i love personality tests you know like (laughs) you can do the um myers-briggs and all those sorts of things um, so Crystal knows you can go in there, uh, sign up and fill in like a little personality thing and it spits out a personality profile, which is exact. Mm-hmm. And I made um, my boyfriend do it and all of my friends do it. It was really fascinating just to even learn how to speak to people. So then if you sign up to their EDMs, it gives you little tips on this is how to hire. This is how to have a meeting. This is how to have a hard conversation. This is how to oh, um, convince your, your friends to do own something. personality type. Yeah. And then you can read other people's personality because the best part about it, right, is that you can just go onto LinkedIn. I could go onto your LinkedIn and um, put uh, there's I've got like a, a little, you know, app that follows you around like a, I save it into my Chrome and it will read your LinkedIn profile and spit out your personality trait Whoa. <laughs> profile. And it is so accurate. I used it um, when we were uh, looking to hire sort of two consultants last year, one in marketing and one in sales. And it's like comes out with this almost six page comprehensive report just from their LinkedIn profile. And I gave it to them and I said, this is correct. And they're like, where did you get this from? And I was like, oh, just Crystal knows. <laughs> That's pretty 
tricky. Okay, I'm going to check yeah. this out after it's we... It's so much fun because I just find it really fascinating, like, how people can relate on a level where they actually understand each other because it sounds really simple when you talk, but there are so many different variations to the meanings of words and... Um, I find it all the time with my boyfriend. I'm like, I said this really clearly and you went and did something else. How can I have said that more clearly? And he's like, oh, you couldn't have. He just interpreted it a really different way. Yeah, it's fascinating how two people can yeah. hear or say the exact same thing and it mean totally different thing. Yeah, I just find it really fascinating. Oh, there's so much to it. Okay, I'm grateful for that because I'm going to go and fun. check that out. Yeah. It's so much fun. Yeah, I need to start running these LinkedIn <laughs> tests on people before we meet them. <laughs> Now I'm nervous that you did it to me before we talked. No, I didn't. I was just thinking about it while we were talking. Should have done though, shouldn't you? I'm gonna go and do it now though. Yeah, send me send me my six page report, please. I oh, I love yeah. that. It's so good. I feel like we could keep chatting for ages, but I will let yeah. you get on because I'm sure you have a long to do list. But thank you for all of that. It was such a good way to kick off the year for Pep Talk, uh, and I think people are gonna learn a lot from all of that. So yeah, thanks, Anna. Thank you so much for having me. Nice to be here. So, so much good stuff to take away from that chat. It was not only just a really cool story of how a business that was founded by a Kiwi is just smashing it on the world stage, but I also think just a really great way to show that as I know I have preached before on Pep Talk, but what you start off doing might not be where it all ends up. So you kind of may as well just get started and see where it all takes you. I feel like I learned from talking to Anna that you kind of just have to roll with it, follow your nose, do what feels right, and who knows where things will end up. I know that it's not always that easy for planners like me who really like to know what's going to happen next, but it's also just kind of part of the beauty and magic of these things, right? Kester Black do have a really strong social media game, so make sure you give them a follow if you can. They are at Kester Black and keep up with what they're up to. Well, there you go. Just like that, Pep Talk is officially back in action for the year. Thanks for joining for my first episode. I hope that I wasn't too rusty on all of this. I did remember to hit record after all, and I'm just really excited to get back into the swing of things. Make sure that you head over to join me on Instagram as well if you can. It's at peptalknz as I'll have lots of exciting news and giveaways and all of that good stuff happening really soon. You don't want to miss it. Until next time, bye!